Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. So, first of all, this morning I just want to mention, I know last week Brian mentioned, as um, a lot of you may know, Jeremy Vire's um, mother and stepdad was is in the hospital with COVID, um, and I know there's been prayers for that. There's been a lot of people reach out to Jeremy, which he's very appreciative of. And just a little update: his stepdad has come home, so that's a praise. His mom is still; um, she's in that balance of she could go either way, and I guess. Um, the nurses are saying now like they're wanting to hopefully to wean her off of the oxygen a little bit and off the ventilator to start weaning her off of sedation. And each time they try to do that, she fights it. And so just pray that um, she won't try to fight it and freak out as she's coming out of sedation. Um, Continue to pray for Jeremy and his brother, continue to pray for his stepdad and just, um, just all the feelings that go with it. We know that God's sovereign over it. Um, we do appreciate each one of you, and um, he greatly appreciate, appreciates all of the love that's been shown. So thank you for doing that. I want to pray for for her and the family um, just now before we get into the passage. So Father God, um, we come before you again, and we just thank you. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for your sovereignty um, just now. Father, we ask that you would um, be with Jeremy's mother, be with the family, be with the nurses, um, give them wisdom. And Father, we know that you are the ultimate healer, that you are the one that um, can take care of anything, but or Father, just help us that there would be peace, um, that she would that she would have peace as she's um, as the nurses are trying to do what they feel is right, and just guide the rest of the family that they would also have peace through this time and knowing that um, who you are and that they would be comforted in you. We love you and ask this in Christ's name. Guess I could have said Amen. <laughs> so, just. Um, I'm going to fill you in real quick here. If you're new here, whoops, that didn't work. Obviously, I'm new at this. If you're new here, we typically, um, we preach expository, and we're now in Second Peter. Jason is our main teaching pastor. Him and his wife and family have had COVID, um, so they were out last week. Praise God, they're feeling better, and they're here today, um, but felt like la- or last week Brian preached um, since they weren't here, and this week I talked to Jason Tuesday, and he was feeling some better, but still exhausted, so I said, well, I'll try to cover it, um, so if you're new here, this is, we're, we're, I, I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach the gospel, just a simple gospel message, um, next week we'll probably be back in Second Peter, so I got to thinking about this week about what what to preach on and 
I had a, I don't know, most of you may know Larry Claypool that goes to church here. Um, very vibrant, very vibrant guy, loves the Lord. Um, ran into him a month ago at the first Friday on the square. And he said, Ryan, he said, if you was going to preach again, what would you preach on? And I said, well, just off the cuff, contentment. And he said, so what's your answer? And I said, gratitude. And he reminded me of Jesus' followers when, when Jesus was performing a lot of miracles. And there was a lot of people that would follow him just because they wanted to see the miracle. And he said the, the problem was is that a lot of them, they were focused on the gift and not the giver. So I went home, and this was a Friday night, of course, and so I thought about it. And Sunday morning, I said, Larry, I said, I was wrong. I said, because I was telling him focus on gratitude to fix contentment and focus on the things that we have and that God has done and is doing for us, and which is true. But I was still doing what the followers um, of Jesus in the time, some of them were doing, was I was still focusing on the gift. I was still focusing on things. And so I told him, I said, Larry, I, I, I'm, I'm wrong on that answer. I mean, partly right, but there's more to it. It's, it's focusing on the giver. That's the answer to contentment. And he said, well, he said, you, you would have got there in the message. And so this message is not going to be on contentment. We're going to, we're going to focus on the giver. So, the title of the message is Forgiven Much, Love Much. And it seems like we as believers so much, we, we, want to, we want to, we need God when we think we need him, and then when life is going good, we don't. Or we, or we can, and I can, I know you know what I'm saying, um, and so I want to present this little analogy as we go through our life and then as we look forward to eternity. And picture this. Um, if you was, if someone proposed to you, so you had a fiance and you had never met him before. And they said, you know what, I'm going to supply you with everything you need may not be what we think we need but it's going to be everything that you physically need for your life and at some point in time we're going to have a wedding day but i'm not going to tell you when and let's say you're 20 years old or like me i got married young when i was 12 or no it was actually 19 but it felt like 12 when i look at 19 year olds now so, let's say you were 20 years old when this happened, and you lived 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, got up to be 70 years old, and you are still being supplied with what you need. Um, you still have correspondence. You've still never met your fiance. You don't know when the wedding will be. And there's going to be days where you kind of just take everything for granted. 
and you realize that there's food provided, there's shelter, there's these material things provided, and we, we just would take them for granted. But we know that there's a wedding and that we're going to go to some beautiful place to spend. There's unlimited. We're not even coming back home. And so we look forward to that time. We look forward to that place. But there could be the, the danger of just looking forward to the place and what that's going to bring, looking forward to the gifts, and really not looking forward to the one that we're marrying. And it's hard to fathom all this and to come to grips with it, but we also, I want to think about this too, that the people that are saved, the people that will be with him eternally are probably millions. We, we, we have no idea the number. And so you think, well, I might just be another face in the crowd. But think about eternity like this, that let's say when we're in eternity, that we get to spend one-on-one time with Jesus. For, you can't put a number on it. Say a million years. Everyone else is doing their thing, and it's just you and just you and your and your Savior for a million years. Each person can do that, and there's still time after that. So, I want to folk. I want to just try to. We're going to go through, and. I've got a couple questions. Well, I guess I don't up there, but how many, how many of us love God as much as we possibly can? So I want you to think about that. And I also want us to think about, do we realize what all we've been forgiven of? And so first of all, we're going to go through this. We're going to, we're going to look at our sinful nature. We're going to look at some of the deep, dark things, and it may feel like it's low, and you feel like I'm a terrible person. Um, I don't want to end there. Of course, we're going to talk about Jesus and what he's done for us, and so the whole thought is, is let's try to realize, if you're a believer, a believer here, I want to try to rid our hearts of self-righteousness and feeling like we're good at this and good at that. I want to point out that we, we have failures all the time, and so let's not be self-righteous. If you're a new believer here, um, hopefully this will open your heart, the Spirit will open your heart and convict your heart, and you can ask Him to reveal Himself more to you. So we're going to start off with Luke 7, and then I've got multiple other passages. We'll jump around a good bit. We'll go through the Ten Commandments. We'll go through several things, but we're just going to try to relay the gospel, and there's a whole lot more to it than what we'll cover here. So Luke 7, starting in 36, um, I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll break it down just a little bit. Luke 7, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. 
and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So it starts out in the first part of this, where it says one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. We're not told what the motive is that the Pharisee asked Jesus to dine. And I will clarify some of these things that I'm going to say through this passage is not my thoughts. It's stuff that I got out of the Gospel of Luke. So, um, so some of the reasons, some of the motives could have been curiosity. He just was curious. Could be that uh, he, wanted to, he wanted to be seen with him, wanted to be, since Jesus was a popular figure. Could be that he was trying to find something to use against him. And it could be that he just had some spiritual hunger because he was a Pharisee. And so he, he could have had spiritual hunger. So these dinners, um, when someone was invited to a dinner like this, it was a social event for the whole community. So anyone was able to come to the dinner but only the invited guests were typically the ones that were that would take part of the meal. But everyone else was welcome to come and listen to conversation around the table. And the Jews in that time period, they didn't use chairs at their table. Um, a lot of times they would typically recline on a pillow. It says that they would recline with their left elbow on a pillow and they must be on their knees because their feet would be behind him, which is how the, the people stand behind of the people that were eating and the lady was standing there. So that's how that was. Um, it goes on, it says, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. It's implied here that this lady was a local prostitute. We don't know that. It's just implied. Um, doesn't really matter because sin is sin. And to the Jewish leaders, anyone that did not keep all their expected rules and the rituals of the law was considered a sinner. 
So the point is, is she was, she was a sinner and she was considered a sinner by the Pharisees and those people in that time. She, her actions by anointing his feet and using this precious ointment that was of high value shows, it shows joy of forgiveness by her actions. And so when the Pharisee saw this that was invited, he says, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is. And according to the Gospel of Luke, um, the commentary, I don't understand Greek, but it says that this sentence is a unique Greek construction, so I'm going to take it that it is. Um, so the construction of the sentence is unique Greek, and it's understood more so as if it would read somewhat that the Pharisee would have said, if this man were a prophet, which he is not, like that's, that's the thought process that was in his mind, like it wasn't a maybe so, it was obviously he's not a prophet because this lady's a sinner. So then Jesus answered and said to him after he says this, that he has something to say to him, and he says, say it, teacher. And he goes on to say, a certain money lender had two debtors, one that owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, there's two types of people in this parable. There's the self-righteous that would think they need little or no forgiveness. And then we have the humble and repentant who know they need God's forgiveness. And Simon answered and said, the one that he canceled the larger debt would be the one that would love him more. So Jesus then says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Everything that Jesus lists here is actions that typically a host in that time period would have done. So this Pharisee didn't do any of these things. And Jesus is just pointing this out. He goes on to say, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are, are forgiven. Jesus didn't overlook the woman, this woman's sins, he forgave them. And her salvation is based on her faith in Jesus Christ, not her personal achievement, not merit, not works, not her performance. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast goes on to say, then those who are at the table with him begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And this, this kind of shows the astonishment of the ones that would have been listening and the ones that were around the table because they knew that only God could forgive sins. And they even, they brought this up earlier in Luke 5, 21, where he says, and the scribes and Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They didn't see Jesus for who he was. 
Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman's expression of love was a result and not the means of forgiveness. Faith in Christ is the key. When forgiveness was seen, love was shown. So, I just wanted to use that passage because she sees her sin for what it is. She sees Jesus for who she is. And I want to get our hearts thinking that way. Now I want to go to the beginning. And we don't have time to cover the extent of the gospel. So we're just going to, we're going to work our way through here. Um, hopefully it's not too scattered. We're going to use several other scriptures. But we start at the beginning. Man was created. Man disobeyed God by partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was asked not to do. Um, so, but doing that, man was driven out of the garden. And God promised the Messiah to restore this relationship. It was through the seed of a woman. And these are all things that are prophesied in the Old Testament. That there would be a Messiah that would come through the seed of a woman, through the lineage of Shem, through Abraham, through Judah, through Jesse, through David, in a town of Bethlehem, born of a virgin, and it goes on and on. There's so many places where it prophesies about the coming of this Messiah. The children of Israel grew from that time point, and they went to Egypt. They were driven out of Egypt. Or they, they, God, or Moses led them out of Egypt, and at a point in time, the Mosaic Law was given, which the law of God shows us who God is. It shows us that no one and none of us are able to fulfill this law, although it was tried for several thousand years. Um, so the Mosaic law divides into three categories. There's a moral, a civil, and a ceremonial law. And there was lots of things given, and we can go through Leviticus. There's lots of things, but I want to focus on the moral law, which is also known as the Ten Commandments. And I want to just point this out because, like I said in the beginning, I want to show us how we violate every one of them and have violated every one of them in some fashion or another. So in Exodus 20, starts out in verse 2, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that, or that is in the earth beneath. Or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing a steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, six days you shall labor. And do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land, and that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So the question now would be, do you or do I, do we keep all these? Like, do we think, well, we're good with eight out of the ten, or we're good with whatever number? Um, I would say no. We can look closer. Let's look closer, and we'll see how we have and we do violate all these. Paul reminds us in Romans 7, 7, that the law is shown, the law is to show us what sin is. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the Lord had said, you shall not covet. Now we're going to jump to, and I know we're reading a lot of scripture here, but it's a lot more clear than what I could say on my own. So we're going to jump to the Sermon on the Mount, where God, where Jesus talks about Ten Commandments again. And he puts... He flips it because over the time, the Pharisees, the children of Israel took this law that God gave and they were trying to check boxes and make everything external. And Jesus wants to go further. It's, it's a hard issue. He says, do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard what that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except at the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman 
commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you, take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than, than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I know that's a lot to read there, but I felt like it was hard to cut parts out of it. We can see through reading that, though, that everything is a hard issue. It's not external. And the heart manifests itself externally. But it's the sin starts in the heart. So there's a good bit of those Ten Commandments are mentioned there that we can see how um, it is a heart issue. It's not just the external part. There's some that's not mentioned there, but Jesus and other writers in the New Testament goes over every one of them. And I want to mention one thing about um, one of them with taking the Lord's name in vain. This was one of the things that 10 or 12 years ago I was trying to learn more about God, and I went through a study on my own of all the different names of God, and we had the Ten Commandments on the fireplace, and I remember sitting there, and I seen the one where it says not to take the Lord's name in vain, and I realized I grew up in a godly, in a godly household with shared the gospel, good parents, and I remember my mother saying, you know, never to take the Lord's name in vain. If we, were, if we were in town and someone said, oh, my God, then, I mean, she would cringe. And um, so I thought that that's what that meant. And it does. It means that we don't, we, we re give him reverence for everything. Um, but through this, there was some things I got to think. And I thought, well, for one, if a person is, un is an unbeliever, then... I don't know what their God is. So, you know, it, it, I started thinking some of those things, and I thought, well, after looking at that and studying the names of God, I realized, I thought, I, I could have said that I, this was one of the commandments that I don't do. I was taught not to say this, so I could check that box. And God showed me that 
when we're a believer and we're one of his, we're witnesses for him. And so when I go about my day, if I do something that is for my, for my glory or that I want credit for, and I do it of my own, I'm not being an accurate witness. And I'm taking his name in vain. His, 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 with him living inside of us, when I do things on my own, I am not representing him accurately. And that was a moment where I had self-righteousness in my heart, and I thought I didn't do this thing. And God showed me, no, Ryan, you do it every day. And there's a lot of these other ones. And so I just point that out because I just, I think it's so important that when we pray to him, when we go through the scripture, that we just ask him continually, God, show us the sin in our hearts. Because the more sin that we see, and not as a low thing to where we can be like, woe is me, I'm a terrible person, but so that we can see it, to see what we've forgiven. Like, we can see this lady in this, or this woman in this passage, and we might think, well, we may not have done the things that she did, or we're not as bad of a sinner, but that's untrue. Like, we are all, our hearts are our, our hearts were a fallen creation and we are all capable of doing the worst things. And so I just want to rid our hearts of self-righteousness and that we see Jesus for who he is and how much he has saved us because the more we see how much he's forgiven us, the more we can love him more because we realize that there's that separation that is there and so any sin is separation so even we can say what about honoring your father and mother and i think we understand what that means but then we can also look we were just in peter a few weeks ago and peter says honor all men not just our i mean yes our father and mother raise us and there's lots of things there but we are to honor all men we don't stop just at our father and mother, um, whether they're unbeliever, whether they're a believer, whether we agree with them, whether we don't. And that just that means to love them and to respect them and to realize that every man is made in the image, every man and woman is made in the image of God, and they are his. They are not. So I just mentioned these things to stir your hearts. Um, Jesus then in Matthew 22, he condenses the Ten Commandments into two, basically. Um, he says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. The teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I think we can see that if we truly love God and others that he has created, that it's hard to break the other commandments. And so that's how Jesus condenses this down. 
through the two because when our love is, when we see what he's done for us and we see all those things, the, 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 the rest is taken care of. So now I want to switch. I want to switch now because um, we got 15 minutes left and I don't want to spend any more time on us. Let's, let's look at Christ. Um, we can say, thanks for the beat down and thanks for showing me all my problems. But let's change our focus because it's good to see where we're at, but it's more, it's not more good. It's better. It's better to actually look at Christ. So Paul says in Romans 7, 21 through 8, 6, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin to the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. It's interesting because some of the passages and what, my, what the benediction is, is some of the same things that Luke had. And so I was thinking during worship, we probably could have just stopped after worship and dismissed everybody because um, it was great. So let's. Let's think about just a little bit about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he brings. He came as a perfect sacrifice. He came to atone, to pay the debt, the sin debt of every one of us. And so when we see in ourselves how much that was, which we still, we, we can't fathom it, um, he was the perfect sacrifice. There was sacrifices, and I don't have time to get into all that. This is this is harder sermon than I thought. I thought it'd be easy to condense the gospel into one, and then there's just so many places and so much to go to. So, I encourage you, if these are some new things to you, to ask, to read, to search, um, to clarify some of these things. But he was the perfect sacrifice. He was without sin. And he paid the price on the cross for us. He was separated from God because of the sin that he carried for every one of us. And when the Father, now that that has happened and he has risen again from the dead, 
and sits with the Father. When the Father sees us, he doesn't see us the way we see us. He sees us through his son, Jesus Christ. And he sees us as redeemed. He sees us in eternity with him. He sees the, the, the sin, the payment for sin has been paid in full. And I know these are things that we're used to hearing, but it's just so good to, it's just so good to stop and think of who our Savior is. No matter what's going on around us, and to think of spending eternity with him. First John one nine says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go into the Old Testament in Psalms one oh three, and he says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Daniel 9, 9 says, The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. And Ephesians, I always say that wrong. Did I say it right this time? Um, 1, 7 through 8, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to be he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And lastly, I want to read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I want to ask each one of us, to let's see our sin for what it is. Let's confess our sin daily. And we don't stop there. We repent of our sin, which means to turn away from it. When sin is revealed in our hearts, then we need to ask God to dwell within us and to change us because he's the only one. We can try as hard as we can to get rid of a sin or a habit and we can't do it on our own. And so it takes time. There's going to be failures along the way. Um, there's going to feel like, and Satan will come, and he'll be like, oh, you're, he'll, he'll try to deceive you and say, see, you fell again. You're not, you're not as good as you thought you were. But I just want to ask or tell each one of you, like, when those thoughts come, kick them out and remind yourself of who Jesus says you are in him. If you're in him, you're a, you're a new creation. And continue to ask for his 
changing in our lives. We call that sanctification as we know more and more about him and more about ourselves and he changes us over time. It's a long process. So I just want to encourage each one of you. Um, it's good to look at the cross and what he's done for us. And it's also, but we don't want to stay at the cross. Like Jesus doesn't want us to stay at the cross. He wants us to look back at it, to be, to be reminded. That's why we do communion. But we want to move on because eternity for a believer has already started. It's not something that's going to happen once we die. It's, it's started. So we live our daily lives that way then. We, we, we share with others. We witness to others. We're called to be disciples. We're called to, um, there'll be good fruits that show out of our lives. We'll, our flesh will want to do one thing, but our, our, the Spirit of God will work in us and say, no, that's not the right thing. Or we may do the wrong thing, but then that's revealed and we go to that person and we say, hey, I screwed up. I shouldn't have done it that way. I lost my temper, whatever it may be. So just keep fighting the fight. Continue to remind yourself of who he is. Look forward to eternity. Um, yes, all the gifts, like I mentioned, we need to focus on the giver. The gifts are just given by God to sustain us and to show his great love for us. And so we're thankful for the gifts. And we look forward to eternity of being no sickness, no death, um, everything perfect. And there's lots of times it's like, oh, I just can't wait till that happens. That's, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But let's try to learn more and more about God so that when we are in eternity, we already know him. So we don't wait till eternity to get to learn to know him. Let's learn to know him now so that when we're there, we can enjoy all the parts of eternity, but we enjoy it with him at our side instead of just us on our own. If you're an unbeliever here or you're not sure where your standing is with Christ and some of these things convicted your heart or makes you wonder more. I want to just encourage you that all of these things in Scripture to a person that is not called is foolishness. And so if it doesn't sound like foolishness, but it still doesn't make sense, but you just want to know more, then the good news is, is you can't do that on your own. So the Spirit's already working in your heart. So ask someone that you know has a relationship with him to explain more. And it's not that person, but it will be the Spirit working through that person. Read the Scriptures. Cry out to God. Say, God, reveal more of you. This this. I don't understand it. But there's great hope in knowing him. So if you can sit here and say, I don't know if I know him, then that's a great place to be, but don't stay there. Ask to know more.
because he's already revealing himself to you. So I want to pray, and then Luke is going to come up and give a song, and then we'll uh, leave you. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can gather, that we can go through quickly um, lots of your preserved word. There's a gift from you. And so, Father, just um, I pray that things that were said were clear. Um, if anything wasn't, Father, remove it and from our minds. And just we ask that you would work in each one of our hearts, Father. Show us who we are and how we have violated your law. But also, Father, show us who we are in Christ um, and just give us that hope and then that and that joy of realizing that we are heirs and join heirs with Christ and it's only through his work on the cross and father help us to live that restored life to live that abundant life um, just help us each one of everyone each one that's here that this week um, that we would go through and that we would be true witnesses for you that our lives would show that our thoughts would show that our actions would show that um so we just thank you, we praise you, we ask this all in Christ's name, amen.